Well, as you saw that, um, I want to let you know that I, I didn't show it to you because we needed all a moment of reverie to remember back to our childhood or as we watched those shows with our children. I think as I look at the world, maybe through a uh, somewhat theological lens, uh, I tend to look for things that they may not have intended, but I think penetrate to us. For instance, let, let, let's consider those two clips we just saw. Both very famous Christmas cartoons, traditions for many, perhaps of your families, those things that you've watched, but with two completely different messages. Think about it, if you will. On the one hand, you've got the Grinch that stole Christmas. If you'll remember, if you haven't seen it, uh, the Grinch, he, he doesn't like Christmas at all. He goes in, he steals all the stuff. He even takes a crumb that's too small for a mouse, and he gets out of town, Whoville, and he gets out of town, and he goes up to the top of Mount Crumpet, and he's getting ready to dump all this stuff over. And the thinking is that having done this, that it's going to ruin Christmas for everybody. But instead of coming out and joining hands and singing around the tree, these Whovilles, and they rec- who's recognize everything is gone, they join hands and circle around nothing, but continue to sing. There's continue to be joy down in Whoville in spite of all that. So here's the Grinch up on the mountain. He's looking, he's hearing all this stuff, can't quite figure out why. And his conclusion, according to the commentator, is that maybe Christmas is a little bit more. But he never tells us what the more is. Did you notice that? It changes his attitude, it, it changes his mind, it changes his heart. But in that story, it never tells us what the little bit more is. Now, flip over the station to the Charlie Brown. Merry Christmas, Charlie Brown. And Charlie Brown wonders, can anyone tell me what Christmas is all about? Linus walks out. And he tells the Christmas story found in Luke chapter 2. He's not only answering the problem in the first one. He's, he's telling us not just a little bit more. He's telling us the totality of what Christmas is all about. Now, as we consider these things, I, I, I want to put it in context. Over the last few weeks, we've been in a, a sermon series called Counter Culture. And we've been talking about how our lives are to be markedly different from the lives of everybody else in the culture around us. As I was laying in bed last night, kind of thinking about this, one of the images that came to mind was back when I was a kid, and in the summertime, we'd have these big rainstorms, and when the rains would come, we had the curb, the curb and, and the water would rush from one end of the street to the other, and we had this place that served ice cream sundaes, banana splits, in little boats. Do y'all remember those? Little plastic, thin plastic boats. Some of you remember those. And, okay, good, good, good. We, I'd go in the house when a big rainstorm would come, big thunderstorm would come. We'd go in the house, we'd get that, because I didn't care about lightning. And I would get out on the street, and I'd, I'd put it at one end of the street, and I'd let it flow all the way down to the other end of the street, and I'd grab it before it went into the drain, and I'd go back there. And as long as the water continued to flow, I was going up and down that street, just watching the little boat flow. Now, here's the deal. That flow is kind of like our culture. It's kind of like our society. 
It's got a rhythm. It's got a flow to it. And the easiest thing for us to do is to hop in our little plastic boat and to go with the flow. Just to kind of, let, let's, not, let's not challenge the direction of the culture. Let's not challenge the direction of society. Let's just go with it. It's so much easier to do it that way. And never, never once, when I was running my little boat up and down, uh, down that street, never once did it stop, turn around, and head the other way. It's a little thing I like to call gravity, pulling that water downward and the boat with it. We, however, we are called to go against the flow. Even, dare I say, at Christmas time. This morning, I would like us to consider for a few minutes what it might look like to live a counter-culture Christmas. For you see, Christmas has its own traditions and rituals that are completely apart from anything that we find in Scripture. For instance, Christmas, what would Christmas be without Rudolph? I mean, many of you have a tradition. We sit down, we watch Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. What would Christmas be without the trees and the lights? What would Christmas be without the elves making the toys? What, What would Christmas be without all these things? Now, you can go to the Bible. It's kind of hard to find any of those in there, isn't it? That's the same thing with Easter. For Easter, bunnies and chocolate eggs seem to be the thing that rule the day. And yet, none of these have any connection to the heart of Christmas. Now you're saying, oh, okay, he's coming down on me. I'm going to have to go home now and take down all my Christmas decorations. No, not at all. Let, let, me make, let, me make the, let me be abundantly clear here. There's nothing wrong with decorating your home, even going all out decorating. And some of you do, and it becomes a very beautiful scene. There's nothing wrong with you buying gifts for your family and friends and giving them to them. There's nothing wrong with having big family gatherings to come together and to celebrate and to hold the kids and the grandkids. There's nothing wrong with that at all. There's nothing wrong with Christmas parties. There's nothing wrong with visiting the mall Santa. Hey, listen. Those can all be good things and make for great, great memories. But we are called to live a little different than the culture. Which means those things cannot, must not, displace Christ as the center of our Christmas, as the heart of our Christmas. When we choose to buy into the cultural Christmas, It comes at a price. What are you talking about? Let me tell you some things that I've heard over the last few years. I I, I begin to listen to these things. And here's some of the things that I've heard, not just from you, but from others with whom I've talked around the Christmas season. I wish Christmas wasn't so busy. Any of you ever said that? I just, I wish it wasn't so busy. I feel guilty that I can't buy more for my family. What I'd really like for Christmas is a nap. I hate to see what my credit card's going to look like in January. Or probably the two worst that I've heard of these. 
I can't wait for Christmas to be over. Or I hate this season. Perhaps the reason Christmas is more chaos than peace is because we're doing it wrong. Perhaps we've bought in too much to the culture. Perhaps we've gotten into that little plastic boat and begun to sail down that cultural stream without stopping to think, is this the way Christmas ought to be? In other words, should we, as followers of Jesus, have a little bit more of a counterculture Christmas? We just heard a few moments ago, Linus, a little cartoon character carrying his blanket, steps out on the stage and shares from Luke's gospel about the shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks at night, about the angels who burst onto the scene with good news of great joy, which is going to be for all people, that a Savior's been born. He's Christ the Lord. And this is going to be a sign to you, shepherds. You're going to find a baby who's wrapped in strips of cloth and lying in a manger. He tells us the story of Christmas. That God came to shepherds. Now, when we think about shepherds, I mean, little fluffy sheep, what could be wrong with them? So we're thinking, okay, you know, shepherds, it's all peaceful and pastoral and serene. Uh, well, that would be true if you're not a shepherd and you're just thinking about them from the outside. Because in reality, that's not the life of a shepherd. For a shepherd, life is pretty much lived outside in the dirt and the elements. For a shepherd... Life can be pretty boring, especially in that time. Remember, this is not big mass marketing. This is uh, mass farming of, of sheep here. Th- these are flocks and, and shepherds who are out night and day in the heat of the day and the cold of the night without shelter, taking their sheep from pasture to pasture, trying to find some green grass. Now, we had the opportunity when we were in Israel to, to actually go to Bethlehem and to, to see sheep out in the field. And I was able to zoom in with my camera to catch the image of a shepherd sitting on a rock. That was his recliner. That was his lazy boy. That was his office. Sitting on a rock, watching sheep. Now, I couldn't zoom in close enough to see if he had an iPod or something. He was listening to music. But you can imagine that centuries ago, it would have been a boring existence. And the boredom would have only been broken by those times when sheep went astray or wild animals attacked. In other words, as some people have described life in the military... Their lives were long periods of utter boredom punctuated by moments of sheer terror. That was the life of a shepherd. Now, to make matters worse, none of you are signing up for shepherding right now, I'm assuming. To make matters worse, these shepherds were considered ceremonially unclean. That means that they couldn't go in the temple or the synagogues and worship like everybody else did. Why? Because they'd been exposed to some things that would make them unclean in the eyes of 
of, of the temple. Uh, they were exposed to uh, feces constantly. They were exposed to blood, their own, <laughs> and the blood of sheep that got mangled by wild animals. They were exposed to dead bodies of, of sheep and, and the animals that they had to, to beat off and kill in order to, to, to keep the sheep alive. So they couldn't go in. As a matter of fact, shepherding, we think of it as just being so serene. Shepherding was one of the low things on the totem pole that you could do. These shepherds pretty much were living on their own. They were considered unclean and outcasts. When we think about the story of Christmas... When we think about the angels appearing to the shepherds, we need to remember that God didn't do things the way we do them. If we were doing it, we'd have the angels show up at the temple to talk to the priests. We'd have the angels showing up among those who were considered to be righteous, fine, upstanding citizens. That's not the way God did things. God sent the angels to ordinary people. In fact, people who were less than ordinary. People who were outcast, rejects, and unclean. And he gave to them the greatest message in the world. He gave them the, the, the good news that the long-awaited Messiah was now here. Of course, none of us deserves the things that God gives us. God's got a way of doing things in a counterculture way. We didn't deserve. We didn't deserve God to save us. And yet God's word makes it clear that God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still in our sins, while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. Nor did we deserve to have the message, the good news given to us. And yet God called and commissioned each of us to share the good news of Jesus Christ. The birth of Jesus in such humble circumstances. The announcement of his birth to common shepherds. God wasn't playing by our rules. He wasn't wasn't doing things the way we plan and devise it. God entrusted the Savior of the world to a humble Jewish girl and her carpenter husband. God entrusted the message of the coming of this child to lowly shepherds. God chose to send his son as one of us to die for us and to rise for us so that sinful humanity might be made righteous in order for us to be forever with him. That's Christmas. That is Christmas. And we're a few days away, just a few, from Christmas Day. But it's not too late for us to turn our little boat around and say, not this year. I'm not going to get so caught up in the culture's way. I'm going to put Jesus. I'm going to put Jesus in the heart of my Christmas. I mean, all of us know 
that Christmas is more than ribbons and tags, packages, boxes, and bags, as Dr. Seuss put it. We know that it's more than finding the right tree on the tree lot. We know it's about God's love swaddled in strips of cloth and laying in a manger. We know it's about Emmanuel, God with us. We know it's about the fulfillment of God's promises by sending his son just as he said he would. We know all this. But does it shape our celebration of Christmas? What shapes our celebration of Christmas? What would happen if we went beyond just putting Jesus as the reason for the season on a bumper sticker or on a t-shirt? What would happen if we went beyond just putting keep Christ in Christmas on a wristband? What if Jesus became the reason for every season? What if... We kept Christ in everything. What if we went beyond sitting on Santa's lap and telling him what we want to sitting at the feet of Jesus and thanking him for what we have? We have a choice. As a matter of fact, this entire counterculture series has been about the choices that we make. We have a choice. We can have Jesus at the heart of our Christmas. Or we can have Jesus as one part in this great jumble of a season. And we get to choose. It's up to us. Linus told us about the angels and the shepherds and the baby Jesus. But I want you to hear what happens after that. The part of the story that he didn't complete. Because I think it's important for us to hear if we're truly going to have a counterculture Christmas. In chapter 2 of Luke's gospel, beginning with verse 17, we read these verses. And when they had seen him, that is Jesus, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Then in verse 20, the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and saying, which were just as they had been told. Without trees, without presents, without strings of Christmas lights, that first Christmas was overflowing with joy. In the most unexpected way, God gave to us the greatest gift that has ever been given. His one and only son. And so I ask you this morning. Have you received the gift? You don't have to buy it. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to be good enough. You don't have to be righteous enough. Hey, you don't even have to get yourself cleaned up first. You come just as you are and say, God, I need what you have for me. Your son, Jesus, I want to receive him as my Savior, as my Lord. That's available right now for you.
right where you are. For some of you, you've already received that gift. But is Jesus the center of your Christmas? Or is he just part of this whirlwind of the season? He's in there somewhere. But he's not the calm center of that Christmas. And is this gift of God's Son so incredibly precious to you that like the shepherds, you couldn't help but tell people? You've got an opportunity during the course of these next few days to be able to share with your friends and your family and your co-workers and your fellow students. You have an opportunity to share with them the reason that you celebrate Christmas. And it has nothing to do with what you're going to give or what you're going to get or how well your house is decorated. It has to do with who's at the center of your Christmas. You have the opportunity to share that joyfully, glorying about it, glorying the opportunity to do it. The question is, will you? Hey, listen. I know it's a lot easier to come to church and to be made to feel good about the way you're doing now. And many of you, let me just tell you, many of you, because I know, I look into your lives and I see great spiritual strides in your life. I see how you've struggled and how God has sustained you in the struggles and how you've come out on the other side stronger, walking more closely with him with a deeper faith. I've seen that and I commend you for that and I encourage you to keep it up. But it's so easy. It's so easy in the midst of this culture particularly to just go with the flow, to not rock the boat and to just celebrate like everybody else is celebrating, to value things the way everything, everybody else is valuing things And I just want to encourage you to think about it, to pray about it, to consider what is truly at the center of your Christmas. Is it Jesus? Many of you are looking for the little bit more. That little bit more. As a precious baby boy who was also the God of creation. And he invites you to come and receive him as Savior. Would you pray with me? Lord God, I pray right now as we pause in this time. Lord, if you're calling us to make a step of faith today. Perhaps that is to come and receive Jesus as Savior. We, we've been in church. We've, we've called ourselves Christians, but we recognize in the stillness of those quiet moments of our lives that there's something missing. That we've gone through the rituals and going to church and put money in the offering plate and sang the songs, but there's no life, there's no joy in this. 
And Lord, today we want to come and receive everything that you have for us. To receive Jesus as Savior and to follow him as Lord and to to move beyond what this world promises is going to make us happy to what you promise will make us eternally joyful. Lord, if there are those who need to receive your Son as Savior, I pray this morning might be their time. There are those who need a church home, a place to belong. Lord, if you're calling them to be part of Grace Fellowship, then bring them. There are those who simply need to come and to kneel and to pray and to ask you, Lord, to reprioritize their heart. Perhaps they need to find a little peace from the Prince of Peace in this season. Lord, whatever it is that you're calling us to do, this is our opportunity to respond to you. And we will. And we'll do it for your glory and in the name of our Savior Jesus. Amen.